0: Well, as we begin today, I I started the first service this way, and I'm going to start every service this way. I'm going to start with an apology, and I don't normally open a service or a sermon this way, but I'm going to do something that I don't normally do. Uh, But I got this on on good credence. A guy named Chuck Swindoll originally uh, told this account, and I'm presuming that if it's okay with Chuck Swindoll, probably okay for me to do. So, I want you to put yourself in this situation. There is a small town along uh, the coast of the ocean, and of course there is a watering hole in this establishment. And the said watering hole, of course, has a bartender there that kind of keeps everything going, and he is a big burly guy. I mean, this guy, he he was a tough man. And the, the patrons of this watering hole were very happy with this Uh, this guy because they said he is the strongest guy we know and they had a running wager that anybody that came in if they bet a thousand dollars that their uh, barkeep could take a lemon and he would squeeze a lemon and he would get every drop out of that lemon and then if the guy that had come in and wants to challenge him if he could take that lemon and squeeze even one drop the barkeep would pay him a thousand dollars well, this went on over many years. I mean, there was nobody stronger than this barkeep uh, at, at this watering hole until finally one day this short, shriveled, older fellow with spectacles kind of walked in and he said, hey, I, I heard about that wager. I'd like to take you up on the wager. And the whole establishment burst into Laughter. I mean, here's this little skinny guy gonna, gonna challenge our, our guy, $1,000 on this wager. There's no way. So they, they laugh. They go, oh, this would be great. So the bartender comes, and he takes that lemon, and he, man, he puts a squeeze on that thing and gets every drop out of that lemon. And then he hands this old, crusty, rung-down rind to the guy, and he says, there you go, have at it. So this bespeckled, short, skinny little guy grabs it by the hand, and the, the, the establishment is just silent because out of that lemon starts dropping drops. One, two, three, four, five, six. They, they couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. This short little guy, skinny little runt of a guy, six drops out of this lemon. No one's ever been able to do that. So they paid him up. But the owner of the establishment, he just couldn't understand. He says, you know, we've had weightlifters come in. I've had football players come in. I've had all these people come in. Nobody's been able to beat me. And look at you. How, how, what do you do? Or how, how, what do you do for a living? How could you beat me at this? And then the guy removes his spectacles, and he says, I work for the IRS. <laughs> all right. I, I don't know. Maybe that, I should maybe change course next week. Okay. But... <laughs> We're talking about money today, all right? It's tax season. We're talking about money, all right? IRS. Okay, you get it. Thank you. All right. So what I wanted to do today, though, in all seriousness, today's text, you know, I know this is a topic that pastors um, sometimes shy away from. I know our parishioners would prefer it if we didn't talk about money, but we have to. And as you read through this text today... I, there, you got to just talk about money today. That's, that's what Solomon is addressing. So we're going to start this text. What I'm going to build upon today, this is the theme that I'm going to use. What is the language of money according to Solomon? I'm going to make the case that the language of money, there's it's 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 got a language of its own, how we think about money, how we view money, everyone's view is a little bit different. But Solomon is gonna kind of lump together, I think, some major truths about money. And this is the question I want to ask. What is the language of money according to Solomon? All right. So we're gonna talk about this in three different phases and three different areas. First of all, is this we're gonna make a universal application. All right. And and what I mean by that is this: that first of all, This first point, I especially want to give thanks uh, to Randy Alcorn, and he's written a number of books on finances, and I've really enjoyed his reading. A lot of this comes from the gleaning of some reading that I've had with Randy Alcorn. But this is what I want to start with, first of all, that when we talk about money, there is a universal application. And did you know that in the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, there are approximately 2,350 verses that talk about money? Uh, So that's a lot, And in fact, if you take faith and prayer and combine them together, guess what? There's more verses about money than there is about faith and prayer, right? So when we start building this case, I think this is something we all need to be thinking about because it is a universal application. We need to consider our resources. We need to consider our money. And and when the scripture talks about that, it's talking directly to us. Now, when I say this, so when I say think of somebody who's rich. Who Who's a rich person? And immediately what happens, our minds go to what? Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all these guys or gals, you know, sometimes they have all this money and all these resources. I want to challenge you today that that's, that's not exactly a correct way uh, to think, alright? And what I want to say is this, is that and I won't ask you to raise your hand, but I would suspect that if you did raise your hand today, that nearly, not everyone, but nearly every hand would be raised when I ask this question. How many of you in your household made in excess of $50,000 last year? To be frank, that's probably a lot of us here. All right? Do you recognize that at $50,000 of income, You have made more money in a year than 99% of all the people in the world. You are in the richest 1% of the world's population when you make $50,000, okay? Let's cut that in half. Let's say you made $25,000. Do you know where that puts you? At $25,000, that puts you more wealthy than 90%. Of the entire world. You are on the richest 10% of all the world when you made $25,000. And do you know something? That if you made $1,500, and I use that one because kiddos, that's probably like your allowance. I mean, $1,500, dollars you average that out $1,500 a year. Do you know that if you made that $15,000 a year or $1,500 a year, that you would be in the richest 25% of all the people in the world? I mean, it, it, it's just, it's mind-boggling to think about that. And I, I use that today because this really struck me. Because when we think about who is rich, we oftentimes think of the other guy. But, dear friends, based upon these numbers, guess what? You are rich, you are wealthy. Particularly by standards of the world at large, and we need to recognize that and we need to know that because all of us, I think we're probably quick to make this assumption. Then when we start talking about riches and we start talking about rich people and we start talking about wealth, we, we we automatically default to this idea well he's talking about he's talking about them no, I'm not. when scripture talks about wealth when scripture talks about riches, scripture's talking about us, not them. Scripture's talking about us. And that's the universal application. That's why this message is necessary for all of us today. There is a universal application because all of us deal with this. All of us are wealthy, particularly by the standards of the world. And I think it's so urgent that we remember that and recall it. So that's the universal application. Okay, point number one, this applies to all of us. And Solomon, I believe, intends this to apply to all of us, alright? Point number two, a universal application but also a universal problem, alright? A universal problem. Now, I'm going to ask, if you're able to do so, go uh, in the Bible to First Timothy chapter 6 verse 10, alright? right. First Timothy 6 verse 10, and uh, this is a text, of course, that that we are probably pretty familiar with. But I think I wanted to start here as I talk about this universal problem. This is an important one. 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, verse 10. And I'll read it here. It says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I'll read especially that first phrase again, that first clause. It says, For the love of money is a root... Of all sorts of evil all right now why would I want to bring this into the discussion today of riches and of wealth because is is being wealthy the problem if God has blessed you phenomenally with financial resources is is that is that a problem is that bad no what's the problem here in this text 1 Timothy chapter 6. What's the problem? Wealth and riches is not the problem. What's the problem? The love thereof. The love thereof. When our focus, when our desire, when our heart is set only on gaining more and more and more, that's where the problem is. And I think it's important for us because sometimes there's this mentality that creeps in that we begin to think that, well, if somebody's wealthy they obviously are probably unrighteous or they're not, they have done things wrong or they're not living in the way of the Lord. And that, that's hogwash. God has blessed many people, many righteous people with large amounts of resources. Praise God for that, all right? That's not the problem. The problem is the love of those resources. And in fact, as we go through the scripture, we see numerous examples of righteous people, godly people that, that had great resources <laughs> but didn't love that, didn't, didn't hold to that. We think of Job, one of the great examples in all Scripture. Job, in his day, was the wealthiest man of his day and age. He was a righteous man. Think of Abraham, much the same way. Abraham is noted uh, for his righteousness uh, because of his faith in God is, is taking God at his word and, and Abraham we go through and read about his possessions and all the stuff he had he was a very wealthy man Abraham had had a lot of wealth Solomon probably known to be the richest man of all human history Solomon now we've acknowledged Solomon had his ups and downs didn't he But but Solomon was a man also that was known of the Lord that was a righteous man and then I think even King Hezekiah, one, one of those good kings, very, very wealthy. So I want us to see that, that righteousness and wealth can indeed go together, but there is, I believe, a special temptation when one is wealthy. And I believe there's a special temptation that we would have to fall in love with our money. And that's why Solomon includes this lengthy uh, passage here to talk to us about that. So what, the problem, first of all, is the love of money. I want to make sure we know that. It's, the, it's not money. It's the love of money. That's the problem. And secondly, I think the reality that that Solomon wants us to understand and to know here is one of appetite. And if you want to turn to verse ten, I love I love verse ten, and we had read that earlier, but it's so good. And this is one you should highlight also in your Bible. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with this income. This too is vanity. And what this verse essentially tells us is that money increases your appetite but not your satisfaction money increases your appetite but not your satisfaction and Solomon is well aware of that and Solomon has gone down this road in his own life and he's telling us that and that's one of the universal problems you see that that we that that appetite is wetted if you would with riches and with wealth but we're never satisfied with that we we always want to have more and more and we'll come back to that later But I think also we need to recognize, and we think about this thing of wealth, we need to recognize too, it's a question of control. And I think most people today, if you were to ask them, they would say, oh, you know what? I'm able to control my wealth. I'm able to control my financial resources. And the reality is this. Frankly, that's a hard thing to do. I believe it's much easier for us to be controlled by our money than it is for us to control our money. And, and we need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge uh, that this thing of control, easy to talk about, a lot, easy, or a lot harder to do. And yet that's part of this idea of this problem is that money takes control of us. The, the seeking of wealth and the seeking of resources that begins to take control of us. And rather than us controlling our wealth, our wealth begins to control us. Solomon is urging against that. And I believe Solomon throughout this whole text, these several verses, he is encouraging us against a common line of thought that we see in the world today. And that common line of thought is this, that money is the universal provider to everything. And there, in a way, it's true, right? I mean, pragmatically, money is the universal provider to everything except happiness. And then there's this thought that Money is a universal passport to everywhere. And you think about that, there's, there's truth in that statement. With, with the right amount of money, you can get anywhere and go anywhere and do about anything. But I want us to keep in mind that although money uh, is, is a universal passport to everywhere, there's one place that money won't bring you, and that's to heaven. So money is a universal passport to everywhere except heaven. Money is that universal provider of everything except satisfaction and happiness. And my prayer today is that we would recognize that we are not called upon here today to allow money to control us, but rather that we would be good stewards, that we would be controlling our money. And after all, it really comes down to this statement. Notice, if you would, I believe it's verse 15. This is uh, such a good verse and sounds just like the book of Job. Notice what it says. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. What does that text tell us? That, that death again comes. And guess what? You can't take it with you. There's, there's nobody here that's going to take their wealth with them. And sadly, so many of us maybe live like we're just going to be able to keep it all to ourselves. But in the end, somebody else is going to get it. You're not going to take it with you. So I think that part of this idea of living in control of your resources is to recognize that and to recognize that what happens when we allow our appetite to overcome us when we allow control to slip away when we begin to think as, of money as that universal provider and that universal passport there's something that happens and what happens is a tragic result and that tragic result is this is that men and women and boys and girls begin to look to gold for that which they can only find in God We begin to look to gold for only that which we can find in God. And Solomon, again, in this text, tells us that this is a vanity. This is futility. That when we live our lives uh, in accordance to gold over God, futility is bound to come. That's, That's the universal problem we face, all right? So what would point three be? We've got a universal application, we've got a universal problem. How about if we offer a solution? What's a universal solution that we can have as we think of our wealth and of our resources, All right. Well, there's a couple verses that I think are really critical to us as we look at this. First of all, go back to chapter 5, verse 18 and verse 19 really illustrate this well And particularly, uh, verse well 18. I'll summarize that. It says, "Here is what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat and to drink and to enjoy oneself in labor as long as he toils under the sun." All right. And then notice in verse 19, and this is this is a key verse. It says, "Furthermore." as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. All right? So, first of all, we have to, if we want to have a solution, the universal solution is this we need to seek God's empowerment. All right? Notice again, verse 19, chapter 5. God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat. And to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. That word empowerment, some of you have enable in the, your version. That word means to, literally it means to dominate or to be domineering. It means to be in control of. It means to be Lord and master over. So what God is saying here is that as he gives these wealth, as he gives these resources, he also supplies to us the empowerment by which we can rightly use them, by which we can be a good steward of all that he has given to us. That's what that word means. And as I read that and read that and read that, it's like, we need to ask God for help in that, don't we? We, we need to see God's empowerment, and he, he offers this up, and he tells us that God grants him this, and then that in that empowerment, there can be really a true enjoyment of those resources and a true enjoyment, then, of, of what God would desire. Now, notice what happens in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 2a. There's another man. God has given riches and wealth and honor to, so that his soul lacks nothing. And then notice what it says, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and severe affliction. And Solomon goes on and talks about death and burial and a miscarriage and all this. And Solomon is comparing and contrasting these two men. One has the God given gift of being able to use those resources wisely, one does not. One has empowerment, one does not. One lives a blessed, contented life. One does not. And it's all based upon God enabling us to use his resources wisely. So dear friends, pray for, learn empowerment. Learn enablement. And secondly, I think we need to learn to enjoy life. Again, a couple times in this text, Solomon says, you know, enjoy life as God has given it. He has given this as a gift. Your, your resources, whether you have a lot or a little, these, these are essentially a gift of God, and he says, he says to enjoy that. So, so we need to do that today, dear friends. And I think God, God's word through Solomon here also tells us not only that we are to learn empowerment, not only are we to learn to enjoy, but we're called upon to learn contentment. And I love this text. It talks about this idea of contentment. In fact, if you go back to verse 12 of chapter 5, it says, The sleep of a working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. What's the difference? (laughs) Uh, The difference is contentment. Contentment with a little or contentment with a lot. And there was a wise, wise man that indicated that we need to be careful about our money. And he said this is a true statement. He says that when you get five thousand dollars, what are you gonna want? Ten. And when you get ten thousand dollars, what are you gonna want? Twenty. And you get the picture. And, and God's word speaks to us that contentment is a gift contentment is a learned behavior and we're called upon dear friends to learn that idea of contentment that it, that it is God who gives us the grace to enjoy and to use uh, these, these blessings wisely and rightly and then I think the solution really comes not only from empowerment not only from enjoyment not, not only from learning contentment but it comes from learning to give how, how do you learn to give? What do you got to do? If you're going to be a giver, what do you got to do? Give. Give graciously. Give generously. That, that's how God trains us. That's how God teaches us to be givers. He calls us to give. And I love going through the scriptures and I see over and over and over again, God or Jesus ne- never speaks ill of somebody that gives too much. <laughs> remember the widow giving all she had her two mites or whatever that was remember the lady that anointed Jesus with oil before his death they're, they're never put down for giving too much but what what is criticized in scripture not giving too much but what giving what too little so dear friends I challenge us say give graciously can I dare you to give till it hurts <laughs> Give give graciously to to whatever work God moves upon your heart, but give graciously. And I want us to recognize the importance of that, that as we give, that we're acknowledging something, all right? First of all, I want to say this. God doesn't need your money, all right? And, you know, if we had passed a plate, the pastor, I could stand here and say, you know, God doesn't need your money. Just give if you you feel moved to give. God, God doesn't need your money. But you know what we need to do? We need to be reminded that it's not ours that's why we receive an offering that's why we give god doesn't need your money but we need to be reminded that that money is not my own that's what we need to be reminded of and dear friends all of this brings us full circle what's this bring us back to remember last week we closed with the idea of that we are called upon to fear god ultimately and finally, how we use our resources, how we use our money, how we do all of these things that we have is going to be a reflection upon our fear of God. And are we truly trusting God or are we trusting ourselves? That's the question we need to answer today. And I would implore you today to consider that it is not uncommon in Scripture that Jesus would do a spiritual evaluation of an individual based upon their attitude towards wealth. Zacchaeus. Remember Jesus wanted to go to Zacchaeus' house and do you remember the change that occurred in Zacchaeus' life as he came face to face with Jesus and came face to face with the reality of the gospel? Jesus, you see, upheld Zacchaeus and he recognized the quality of the spiritual condition of Zacchaeus's heart because of his willingness to part with his money. And then do you remember the rich young ruler, Matthew chapter 19? The guy that kept all the commandments, did all the stuff, and he said, what, what else do I need to do, and what did Jesus say? Jesus said, sell your possessions. And of course, what happened? The guy walked away. And we're able to make a spiritual evaluation about the condition of his soul because of his unwillingness to part with his wealth. So, dear friends, today we need to understand that and we need to know that this whole thing of money, it, it's important. And all of us, uh, we, are, we are wealthy by the world's standards. Now, I'm going to close today uh, with an accounting of a young, a teenage girl actually now. Her name is Adrosa. Adrosa uh, is, gr- grows up or has living in a, uh, a nation called Benin uh, in, South, in, in Africa. It's a small nation, kind of a landlocked uh, nation. But it was really interesting to read of her account and to hear her testimony. Uh, she came from a family that was polygamous. So Adrosa came from a family. Dad had three wives and 15 children. All right. So, Dad died. Adrosa was at home with her mom. Uh, mom remarried and began to have children, and determined that Adrosa needed to be get out of the house. So, Adrosa was kicked out of the house. Went to an uncle's house. Lived there. Uh, actually, it was interesting. During that time, she she came to go to a church, a Christian church, and she heard the gospel for the first time. In this this largely Muslim culture, she she became a Christian. And, and in the course of that time then of course that irritated her uncle uh, and uh, her aunt and they kicked Adrosa out of the house so Adrosa is homeless teenage girl a believer in Christ didn't know what she was going to do a Muslim woman befriended her and said hey come and be my housemaid, cook clean whatever else you do come and do that I will pay you and this kind of goes back to our first 31 a month <laughs> that was going to be your wage $31 a month all right so Adrosa went began to working and then quickly realized that her Muslim employer was not going to pay her didn't pay her a dime worked her tail off didn't pay her a dime and actually kind of turned to mocking and when Adrosa would address the fact about her pay and about her money uh, the, the, the Muslim woman would say wow why don't you just pray to Jesus he'll give you some money you know, Jesus will give you some food. And that went on several years of time. Finally, Adrosa was able to join up with a tailoring class or a sewing class. Uh, and of course, the the Muslim woman wasn't happy about that, but Adrosa would sneak out and she'd go to this class. Did very, very well in this class. I was going to graduate with uh, a degree in sewing and in tailoring. Going to be able to provide for herself now. Uh, but she needed a birth certificate. And the birth certificate was held by that woman that she had worked for. And she refused to give it up. So Adrosa went to court and and brought this case to court. And the judge, praise God, ruled in favor of Adrosa. He was so upset with that Muslim woman that he demanded that she pay back all that she owed Adrosa from the very beginning. What's so dramatic about that is that Adrosa stood up in court and she told the judge Judge, I do not care about the money. The money means nothing to me because I have something much better than money. I have Jesus. I have Jesus. And that statement just struck me. I have Jesus. I have something much more better than money. I have Jesus. The judge also granted the birth certificate. Adrosa got the birth certificate, graduated and is now a tailor in benign, earning her own living and doing her own thing. But I just, I, I close with that today because of that statement. It's not about the money because I have something much better. It is about Jesus and that's what matters. And dear friends, I close today with that thought that we would consider the language that money speaks and that we would consider this question as we close money talks what does it say about you money talks what does it say about you heavenly father take now and use this word i pray that you would be glorified in it and this is one of those topics that's kind of sensitive to talk about but necessary lord your word talks about it a lot And I thank you for that. And I pray that you would give us wisdom now as we apply this word to our own hearts and to our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.